Well, good morning and welcome to Christ Church. My name is Pete Stearns and I'm our pastor of Family Ministries. Uh, Today is our second installment of the B-Series, which will be happening intermittently throughout our fall season. During this series, we intentionally pause so that we might break the cycle of doing by being still, being present, and being filled with the Spirit of God. You see, we believe here at Christ Church when we enter into these sacred rhythms of rest that Scripture calls Sabbath, we have an opportunity to reframe our understanding of the world and enter into a fruitful labor for our Lord. And so like the last time, we will not have your stereotypical sermon in which you are challenged to do something, but instead we will have a brief reflection on the word of the Lord, as we ask you to be soaked in his spirit and receive his words that come to us from Psalm 139. As we prepare our hearts for this time with the Lord, let us bow our heads in prayer together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to enter into your presence. Lord, we pray today, amidst the distractions and the chaos that so often accompany getting your family out the door, that, Lord, we would slow down, that we would release our distractions, our burdens, and our anxieties to you. Lord, that we would trust that you could carry these heavy burdens so that we might intentionally be present to your spirit that moves and acts among us. Lord, let us come to this place this morning prepared to hear your voice and to discern your whisper in our lives. We pray this in your name, amen. Now, Psalm 139 is a beautiful reflection on what it means to belong as a child of God. You see, it's written by David, like much of the Psalms. But this one is special because it's written by David as a reflection upon entering into the throne room of Israel and being appointed as the king of Israel for the very first time. So David, sitting on his throne, takes a moment to write a reflection to the Lord. Oftentimes we remember David through the lens of our Sunday school stories. Many of us know that David was just a boy when the prophet Samuel came to his father's house to anoint him as the future king. We're very familiar with the story of of David as a teenager going to the Israelite camp to bring his brothers some food and finding his brothers trembling in fear because of the giant Goliath, David picks up a sling and a rock and defeats the Philistine conqueror. And so it's easy to assume that also at a young age, David became the king of Israel. But the reality is, is that that's just not the case. You see, scholars believe that when David was anointed as king, he was between 10 or 12 years old. 
when he went and fought Goliath. It was sometime around his 16th birthday. And when he finally sat on the throne of God's chosen people, he was between the ages of 37 and 40. You see, David waited at least 25 years for God to fulfill his promise to him. And those weren't an easy 25 years. They weren't years that he was being groomed for leadership. There was no succession plan. He was not being taught the ways of being a king. Instead, he was being ceaselessly pursued by the previous regime. He was being persecuted by the king Saul. And he was constantly fleeing from the people that he would one day lead. You see, David, after a period of trial and tribulation, finally assumes his rightful place on the throne, the day he has been waiting for, and he turns to God in prayer, and he shares these words. Let us today receive them as if they are coming from our own heart. Let's close our eyes and listen for God's whisper. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me to attain, too lofty for me to hold. You see, David, sitting on this throne, looks back over the last 25 years of challenges and struggles. And he doesn't reflect on how God has finally fulfilled his promise. He doesn't reflect on how God just saw something in him, a potential that could be groomed and placed into this lofty place of authority. Instead, he reflects on how God knew the mundane about him. He knew his going out and his lying down. God was familiar with his thoughts, with his anxieties and his fears. God had discerned his temptations, his fallenness, his sinfulness. And yet still, God has been faithful. It is not because David was the right pick, but it is in spite of the fact that everything in his internal life would have said he's not ready, that God placed him on the throne and was faithful to him over the course of his lifetime. I think there's a poignant truth to this. Because we live in a culture that is afraid of being known. We guard ourselves from the outside world, from strangers, but even from loved ones. We bury secrets deep in our heart and we cloak our insecurities. You see, we live in a world that has told us to carefully curate an identity for ourselves, to project an idealized picture of who we want to be for the world 
to consume so that they might not see those dark places of our life. I mean, think about how we use social media. We post pictures of our smiling and joy-filled children that look like they could be J. Crew models. If you saw my son this morning, you would notice that he has a giant goose egg on his forehead, that his shirt is covered in syrup stains, and that I had to drag him here kicking and screaming. We post pictures of our home renovations that would make Chip and Joanna Gaines proud. But for some reason, I've never posted a picture of my trim work that has laid dormant and undone for the last three years, or the dirty laundry pile that has sat affixed to the corner of my bedroom for the last who knows how long. We post pictures of our luxurious, tranquil, and peaceful travels. I'll admit to you today, I have no idea what a tranquil and peaceful vacation might look like. <laughs> I have never been on one. We write elegant tributes to our spouses on our birthdays or, or their birthdays or our anniversaries. We talk about how they have shaped our lives, how their presence in our household has transformed us, how deeply we love them. The sad truth is, had our spouse not read those words online, they likely never would have heard them in any other context. It goes beyond social media, though. In our professional worlds, we carefully construct resumes, combing over each and every word and bullet point so that we can clearly articulate just how successful we've been, just how great we've been at our jobs, but we've conveniently left out any failure we've ever had. In fact, we've completely neglected to include jobs that maybe we weren't as proud of because we want our future employer to see just how talented we are, just how ready we are for this new role. We do this in our social life. We purchase cars and homes that we can't afford because we like the outside perception that that brings with it. We like how people perceive us in our neighborhood. We want to fit in in that community. But the reality is, is that we all know this is a veneer. This is just a facade. Because deep down, every single one of us is racked with fear. We are terrified that one day someone will find out that we're not as great as our resume might show. They'll find out that our families aren't perfect, that our marriages have some troubles, that we don't parent well, that we don't actually go on these great and luxurious vacations, that actually our life is pretty normal and mundane, and that we have failures and brokenness that have destroyed relationships. You see, we fear that if one day someone were to see past this golden veneer, they would not love us and we would be alone. 
And so to hear that God knows us completely and entirely, that he actually perceives our thoughts before we even have them, is both encouraging but also fear-producing. Because how could a God that is so good, that is so perfect, love someone like me? And it is in this fear that we turn back to the words of David, sitting on his throne for the first time. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, or if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light will become night around me, Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like day, for darkness is a light to you. You see, David recognizes that he is known, that God perceives his brokenness and his failures. But in the midst of that knowing, he is not and will not ever be alone because he belongs as a child of God. You see, belonging is of the utmost importance to us. Maslow's hierarchy would say that this is one of the uh, foundational pursuits of all of humanity. And the reality is, the reason that we build up for ourselves these false identities is so that we might belong. If we conform to the expectations of the world around us, we will not be alone, is the lie that we constantly repeat in our heads. Solomon Ash conducted an experiment in 1951 to test just how far this desire and pursuit of belonging would lead people to conform to the groups around them. He brought in uh, eight participants into a room to take a test. And he did this over and over and over again in order to get uh, a broad range of data. But he brings in eight participants to take a test, and he holds up 12 different cue cards. And on those cue cards, there are four lines, three of which are distinctly different in length, and one of which matches the previous three lines. And he holds those cards up, and he asks each of the participants to share which of the lines are matching. And this is not some sort of optical illusion. The lines are clearly different in length. There is a long line, a medium line, and a short line. It should be fairly simple and easy for the participants to answer correctly. And sure enough, in all of his tests, the participants answer the questions at an over 99% success rate. This is easy. If I held it up to all of us in this room, we would get the answer correct. But he adds a little bit of a twist. And in his second set of tests, he brings in only one participant and seven actors. And he holds the cue cards up again, and the actors each go down the line sharing an answer that they know is false. You can see the one participant looking to his left and to his right, wondering 
why these people are getting it wrong, looking for some sort of validation that they're crazy. But when they realize that they can't get that kind of affirmation, they too answer purposefully incorrectly. In fact, in the second set of tests, 75% of those participants conform to the rest of the group, knowingly answering wrong so that they won't seem, as they said later, peculiar or strange or outside of the group. Now, most of us are pretty confident that we would be part of the 25% that didn't conform. In fact, miraculously, every single person in this room probably thinks that they would not be a part of that 25%. But the reality is that this is what we're doing when we present ourselves in a way that is not true to who God created us to be. This is what we are doing when we paint an idealized picture of who we want to be for the world around us to consume. We are knowingly cloaking our identity, the identity that God has created for us, so that we might belong to the group, that we might conform to the standards of the world. And it is in this that we cling to God's promise, that we are known and we are not alone. That while living into our true identity might isolate us from a culture around us, we will always belong as a child of God. And when we embrace this identity, when we are present to a God that never leaves us, we begin to reach into his plan and will for us. You see, after a few more stanzas, the psalmist ends by saying this. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. How was David able to walk through a season of persecution that lasted over 25 years? He allowed himself to be known by God. He was present to God's spirit in his life. And because of that, he was confident that God would lead him in the way everlasting. We too can be encouraged that God is leading us to something so much better than we have today as long as we embrace the reality that we are known intimately and that we belong in his family. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to come today and to be reminded of your promises that we are known and that we are not alone. Lord, we admit to you that we have spent most of our life hiding ourselves from the world. But Lord, we pray today that in this encouragement, we would be present to your presence in a way that allows us to embrace the life everlasting that you have set before us. We pray this in your name, amen.